Well, good morning, afternoon, evening, or ask crack of dawn to you, race fans. Welcome into Roland Race News, presented by Ace Electric, your ace in the hole for all your electric commercial and residential needs. Get a hold of Alan Shively with Ace Electric. Once again, that is your ace in the hole and your presenting sponsor for this episode of Roland Race News. Guys, I want to apologize for being a little tardy to the party. Apparently, this episode did not automatically upload last night at midnight so i'm sitting here as you can tell um recording a new introduction for this episode today we're joined by area 305 sprint car driver longtime 360 racer and a new-ish bragging rights late model driver nick bryan it was great getting caught up with him you know Nick and I may have started off on a rocky foot, but it was great to have him over to the garage, sit down, squash a couple things, and just talk racing. That's what this podcast is all about. I really should have named it something different because we really don't focus so much on news away from the Facebook page. This is really just racing talk, you know? We sit around, we'll maybe have a couple of drinks, maybe have a beer, maybe have a water. It all depends on what you want or what you like. But regardless, if you want to get on Roland Race News and sit down and talk, all it takes is a quick trip to Lincoln, Nebraska. Or if you're outside of the area, I know that we primarily focus on Nebraska-based racing. But if you're from outside the area and you want to come on the show, get a hold of me. Reach out to the Roland Race News Facebook page. uh, Get my number. There's the voicemail option on the Anchor app. You can feel free to leave a message. Either way, we'll get you on the show. I'd love to talk to you guys um, to give you a little bit of insight. I've got seven episodes in the can right now that were recorded before the first of the year. It's the seventh now. I tried pretty hard last weekend and all the way over my Christmas break when I was working day shift for the job to get people over and I just couldn't get anybody. Now, admittedly, That was the Christmas season, New Year's. Everybody's busy during the holidays, so I'm not mad, but I am definitely looking forward to getting more people over here and onto the program just to kind of help build it because I want to sit here and talk racing with anybody and everybody who wants to talk about it for as long as humanly possible. So anyways, without further ado, let's go ahead and get into this week's episode. But first, we do have to let out some sad news. As most of you heard a few days ago, an area bragging rights late model driver lost his life at a young age. Our thoughts and prayers go out to Brandon Saltzman and family as Brandon lost his battle with cancer, I believe at the age of 24. So now that we have the sad stuff out of the way, without further ado, here is your interview with Nick Bryan and thank you for tuning in to Roland Race News. Well, good morning, afternoon, evening, or ass crack of dawn to you race fans, and welcome back to Roland Race News. Hanging out with a guy who, honestly, I don't talk to quite often enough, being joined today in the studios with Nick Bryan. Nick, how's your week been, man? It's been going pretty good. How about yourself? Oh, not too bad, you know. Did a lot of uh, work, a lot of watching the Gateway Dirt Nationals on flow, and uh, last night went to the fights, and today kind of dicked around in the garage, tried to get it a little bit more presentable, and... Now hanging out with you, going to have a couple other people over this afternoon, so we're going to have a pretty good podcast in time. Sounds good. All right, well, let's get right into it. I know you're a guy who's got a rich family history in racing. Talk a little bit about that, because I know that the Bryans have been staples 
around racetracks long before you or I were here. Yeah, I mean, uh, basically our family started back when my grandpa started racing back in like the early 50s and 60s, uh, kind of adapted to uh, his racing career. And then after an accident or so, he kind of backed off from racing himself and just kind of stayed involved with like the officiating side of the, the sport. So he's been involved for quite some time throughout the whole state of Nebraska. So. Yeah, he's one that, you know, everybody, anybody over the age of about 45 knows who your granddad is. So your dad did quite a bit of racing throughout the years. Tell us a little bit about that. Uh, yeah, I mean, so it actually started with uh, my mom. She started racing for my grandpa. And uh, at the time, Dad was driving, like, I think it was like a stock car or something back at Midwest Speedway. And uh, they kind of caught eyes, and, you know, the rest is history. They're together now still. And, and uh, Mom actually raced uh, sprint cars for about three years. Uh, she actually witnessed uh, Bruce Phelps catch fire, and that's back when they didn't have, like, bladder tanks and stuff. And she witnessed that one night, and she seen, uh, you know, how badly he got injured, and she decided to quit on the spot. So... That was in 83. I think roughly later that summer, or maybe even 84, is when Dad started his sprint car career. He just kind of teamed up with Grandpa and started driving for Mom and him. And and uh, he's, he raced all the way up till about 2001 when I decided to uh, take over after he had a heart surgery and, you know, medical reasons put him on the sideline. So, but he's still involved still to this day. Is racing something that you always wanted to do, or did you have some other interest as a kid? Did you want to be a football star or anything, or has it always just been racing? We joke about this, but, yeah, I mean, obviously when you're a kid, you want to grow up, you want to do just about everything, you know. Um, Dad being involved in racing so much and uh, uh, having heart conditions and stuff like that kind of sidelined him from being, you know, the physical side of things, so there's no playing catch or rough housing or playing basketball or anything like that so um i did grow up in the north side of town where i had a bunch of friends and we used to you know we had a park nearby and everybody was either good with a football or a basketball or we'd go to the rec center and play dodgeball or something so um you know leading up to you know sports and stuff i played a little bit of basketball and decided to play a little bit of football in high school had some opportunities to go somewhere else out of you know out of high school but uh, around my sophomore season of uh, high school is when dad was sidelined for being the medical stuff for the racing. And uh, we had that talk and it was, you know, hey, I've got, you know, my life invested in this sport and I don't want to just throw it away. So if there's an opportunity that you think that you want to drive, uh, now's the time to, uh, you know, seize that opportunity. So had we not had that conversation, I don't know that I'd ever been adapted to uh, just hopping in and just going for it, but I'm glad that he did. I know that our first night that we went out and practiced, it was definitely, you know, coming from no goat cart experience or anything like that, like some guys around here, it was just kind of, you know, dive in head first into this, you know, into a sprint car, you know. So the, the adapting and, and learning how to, you know, drive was definitely a, you know, um, a huge learning experience. Were you already a licensed street driver at the time, or no? Actually, I wasn't. So I was actually 15 when we went to play day, and I think I raced as I was started my season when I was 15. So I didn't actually even have a driver's license other than I was, you know, had a learner's permit. So yeah. 
ride around a couple of blocks and learn how to drive a street car, and then boom, we'll just throw you right into a 360 sprint car. That's, yep. that's incredible. Yep. So I've also heard, and maybe it's not true, I'm, I might as well just drop names because he doesn't listen anyway, but Jared Dieterding actually told me that you have kind of a neat collection of, or maybe your dad has a neat collection of older sprint cars. Um, yeah, so we actually have an old Tognati that Dad's kept on to for the years. It's the car that he uh, adhered from uh, and actually raced it up until probably maybe two or three years prior to him hanging it up. You know, he's got an old Tognati that we had bought from. I think it was uh, Todd Todd Splain's dad. I think his name's Gary. All right. And uh, you know that car's been there and and uh, you know it's just something that it, it's there. It's bought and paid for. It doesn't need to go anywhere. It's just sitting around collecting dust. But it's like a sentimental value piece to the family you know so we've talked about restoring it someday but you know just not no motivation to do it right now but it's definitely you know on the bucket list i think something like that would be sweet to have around you know keep the history of the sport alive and with the rise of like the midwest classic stock cars and stuff i think it'd be cool to start seeing some of these old sprint cars get pulled out of the weeds and do some vintage racing yeah there's definitely you know there's definitely ambition to do something later on down the road with it um, just right now, just like with the Gotra and stuff like that, there's not a lot of open wheel. I mean, there's a bunch of exhibition stuff, so um, it'll take some time to get it, you know, race ready again. But it's definitely on the bucket list to, uh, you know, see it run some circles again. Absolutely. That's a cool thing to have sitting around and a cool ambition to have to kind of help build for the future with a piece of the past. So you got your start at 15. Take us through those first couple years, I guess take it back to the first practice night what was your first thought when you really got to stand on it for the first time so i was actually the first night my first night was actually the same night that preston marsh started his first night and we both got put in the same session and he went out first and obviously i have literally no experience i have no you know no idea what this thing's going to do at full speed you know so i go out there and i'm thinking okay yeah i'm you know 15 years old kind of head in the clouds thinking that things were going to go right and stuff and i mean you step on the throttle and you hit the corner and you hit the banking especially in a 360 that thing just drives straight for the wall unless you know what you're doing you know so that wall got pretty tall pretty quick and tell you what it got the the jitters going and stuff like that so uh we ended up spinning out or so or whatever just getting a little too excited or whatever and end up going back up in the pits and i know my first expression was like get me out of this thing you know because you know I mean, it's scary, you know, for anybody that's never tried it. And, uh, you know, for me, not having any experience, uh, you know, I don't know if that if Dad had never uh, gave me the opportunity to say, okay, you're going back out there one more time. I mean, it, it, had he not convinced me, I don't even know we'd be sitting here talking today. Well, I'm sure glad that he did. And that is such a real feeling that there's so many people and, you know, I've known you for a long time. We haven't exactly always been the best of friends. And... There was a point in time where I was a bit of a grandstand guy, and then the first time that I jumped into a car, yeah, it's, it's totally different than what you think it is. Oh, for sure. So you got your start, uh, rolled around there the first couple of years. You stuck with the sprint car deal for a long time. How difficult was it to kind of make that transition from the 360 to the 305? I know that it's a lot more than just a motor between the frame rails for a lot of people, especially when you're from a family that's so deep in 360 racing around the area. Yeah, we we spent, uh, you know, quite a few years trying to build up our program to, you know, try to be competitive in the 360 ranks. And actually, you know, we'd worked all the way, all the way up to like 2010, like before we decided to uh, ante up and actually buy 
you know, a, a motor that somebody else had assembled for themselves. Um, and we actually ended up buying a Klein motor that actually, you know, like improved our program just, you know, to either get off the pot or, or uh, you know, get with the Joneses. So we ended up buying the motor outside of, uh, out of the States. We went to Arizona and picked it up and came home. And, I mean, that that stage of, uh, of, uh, of buying that new motor put us in, like, a different perspective of racing, you know. So then, you know, obviously, uh, you know, equipment is more important and stuff like that. And it brought some success and stuff like that. So we uh, ended up knocking off a win that year. Um, you know, we'd travel a little bit. Uh, Holt County Sprints did some stuff up north there. They did some stuff in, in uh, Boone County. And uh, that gave us an opportunity to kind of adapt to, you know, what the car's doing with this new motor and stuff. So it came and gave us like a practice session, you know. So we'd go up there every other Friday or it was like once or twice a month that we'd go race. And we had some pretty good results considering the people that we were racing with. And it gave us more confidence on Saturdays. And it definitely showed going into that year. So, uh, I mean, it's one of those things where uh, if you want to, you know, keep improving, you just got to keep keep your mind right and just keep keep going at it. And so... Yeah, so many people think that you can just be successful running one night a week, and yeah, that helps you gain experience at one track, but you're one of the guys that actually did like to get out and go around. You know, I've seen your name in results at several different tracks around the area, so when you were kind of doing more of the traveling thing, did you have a favorite racetrack to go to? Yeah, I mean, so, I mean, we kind of leaned towards Boone County just because it was, you know, we had a small rig, just open trailer and stuff like that, so we couldn't really get too far away from home. Obviously, working Monday nine to five, and yeah. you know some Saturdays, um, we try to get you know something that was close by that you know budgeted that fit our budget. So, Holt County was just one of the you know it didn't pay much to race there, but it was you know laps and it was getting us you know it was definitely making me better as a driver at the time. So, and that's such a unique racetrack to get to learn on. You know, no walls through the corners. That's something that you're not used to running at Eagle. It just I find that every track you go to, you kind of get a different perspective of different kind of things. Like, you go to Butler County. I, I loved that track, but it was so dark. Right. Like, got to learn how to drive that way. And it just, I feel like it rounds you as a driver. So, you do the touring stuff with the Holt County deal, and then you have to make the jump over to the 305. Did you keep any 360 stuff around during that time, or did you just kind of throw full focus towards the 305 program and basically relearning everything you knew yeah actually the 360 program there towards the end of it um for us was probably about 2012 2013 i think 13 was a year that the 305s actually had their first year at eagle Sounds um, right. leading leading up to that point we were actually um, a two-car team i had a partner of mine uh frank sheridan who uh, drove my second car i mean the car count at eagle was kind of getting uh, questionable, you know, and we obviously were invested in the 360s at the time, so we wanted to uh, support the track. Uh, you know, definitely didn't want the the class to disappear. Wanted and, to be there, and uh, you know, it just the the car count wasn't really the greatest, so we were trying to do the best that we could to support it. You know, so I mean, I had a buddy that was op- offering and willing to uh, step up and you know take care of the necessities and the the maintenance to uh, get a second car out on the track, and I'm glad that we did because, you know, when 305s came around, we actually decided to, uh, you know, support that class as well. So um, we knew that we were a little bit uh, out of question. We were both working night shifts, so we couldn't really travel Monday through Friday, and we knew that, you know, if we were going to continue with the 360 stuff that, you know, it was really going to put a damper in the, the old pocketbook. So 
we actually uh you know sold one of the motors and and uh, one of the cars to you know uh beef up our 305 program at the time i think actually one of the cars we actually sold to roger hayden so that he could put another guy in a car so i mean it you know would technically brought with us selling one to him or whatnot it actually put another car out on the racetrack so uh, so at the time, we, you know, we knew that we were trying to do the right thing, obviously, because we wanted the race. We wanted the race weekly, and we knew that if we were going to continue to do that, we'd have to support the 305 stuff. So, Man, that is the right mentality to have going into something like that. With as much negativity as surrounded that decision, it's nice to know that there were people around that really had a good base on it and realized that, you know, it might not be exactly what we want, but... It's something that we're going to have to have because without all forms of racing, we end up with none. Yeah. I mean, it was kind of one of those things where, you know, can't have your cake and eat it too. So, I mean, we couldn't race both classes and support, although we did save the 360 back and, you know, when they did some fall shows, I think McCool and stuff like that, and we went and supported some uh, uh, 360 stuff with with our 360. And I think the following year, like, we even took the 305 because the 360s were still struggling with the car count, so... We, uh, you know, obviously went and supported the class, although we didn't have the horsepower and stuff to be there and be competitive, but we still wanted to be there just to, you know, support, you know, racing, and obviously that's what we were there for, so. Having the right mentality about it, that's something that a lot, I really wish a lot more people had. So talking about Frank Sheridan, you you kind of took me back. I almost forgot about it. What's Frank been up to these days? Uh, Frank's busy just uh, working, and he's actually started the family. He's just had their third daughter just a couple months ago. So he's uh, kind of took the back burner of the racing and just kind of decided that, uh, you know, he's focusing on a, being a family man now. So Totally understandable. And you've got a family yourself, and, you know, they they seem to back you up really well. You always bring a lot of fans out to the racetrack. You know, I've I've been friends with your wife's daughter or your wife's sister Kara for years and years and years from yeah. school and everything. And yeah. looks like you've got a pretty good family background behind you. Yeah, I mean, I don't. My family is pretty small. I just have a half sister who's a little bit older than me, and you know, uh, she wasn't really into the racing thing. She was brought up a different side of the family and stuff, yeah. so she wasn't exposed to the racing as obviously like me day in and day out. So um, Ashley and I actually met my wife. I met her. Uh, I was actually helping a couple of crew guys, or crew for a team, and uh, they actually happened to be neighbors to her parents, and that's kind of how we met. So we, uh, you know, locked eyes or whatever and met, and, and uh, she's been around ever since, so, and she's been really supportive of it too. So The rest is history, as they say. Yep. So a couple of years ago, you kind of decided to try something different. You ran the 360s and the 305s, decided to jump into a late model. Talk a little bit about what led up to that decision. You know, I was actually in 2019, I was actually, I'd gotten laid off from my job. And, uh, you know, I had some savings or whatnot that I was going through. And obviously, you know, when you're, when you got time that you're not working or doing what you love or whatever, I actually went on the road and helped Monty Ferrer on his car and, and uh, was, you know, using that as a source of income and for the meantime. And, and uh, so I saved up some money that I had made and stuff. And, you know, I'd always talked about maybe doing, like, the bragging rights or something for the late models. It's always been something of interest of mine. And uh, I ended up selling one of the sprint cars just because it was, you know, time to uh, upgrade and stuff like that and move some inventory. And uh, I don't know, I was just I was on Dirt Drivers one day browsing the classifieds and came across, a, you know, a car 
and uh, you know, kind of jokingly teased with the wife, and I said, you know, I've always wanted to try, you know, try this late model stuff, and she just kind of looked at me, and she gave me a smirk, and she said, well, if it's something that you want to do, then I'll support it, and that's all I needed for the green light to go, so I actually went and looked at a couple of local cars and ended up deciding to buy one um, out of Elkhorn, and uh, we ended up starting racing, I think we raced at the fall of 2019 with the car the first night, and ran the Charlie Classic at, uh, I-80, and it was, it's a night and day different experience, it was definitely worth, um, you know, killing the curiosity of the cat, of wanting to try both and stuff, and, um, you know, I've always been a follower of, like, Donnie Schatz and Kyle Larson and stuff, and Larson didn't really get his late model career, but, like, Donnie Schatz did, you know, prior to 2019, so, um, it was kind of inspired to just, you know, try to be adapt and, you know, coming from uh, a family of racing where, you know, grandpa was a stock car legend throughout the state. Dad started in stock cars and my mom was only a sprint car driver and dad was a sprint car driver. So I never really got the opportunity to, you know, work myself up the ladder, so to speak. So yeah. now that I had the opportunity to, uh, you know, see something that I've always wanted to do. Um, and then I had the support, you know, obviously and, and the encouragement. So. It was, uh, you know, the decision to make. What's your favorite part of late model racing compared to sprint car racing? The late model racing, I think, you know, like it's just like it's on edge. Like I think sprint car racing, you can have, you know, a, one or two bad laps, but like late model racing, it's so competitive. And, it, you know, you've really got to put the whole race together. And it's kind of like a strategy-wise because obviously, you know, cars like that a little bit heavier, a little harder on tires and stuff like that and, and equipment so i mean you got to manage at the same time too so i mean if a guy was going to try to uh you know go up the ranks maybe move the asphalt or something i mean it's not just about you know stomp and steer it's a little bit of strategy and stuff like that involved too so um not that i'd ever had the ambition to go asphalt or anything like that because i know the, the budget and the funding's not there but i just wanted to experience the late model stuff and that you know bragging rights was kind of like the 305 stuff it was kind of the affordable class to try it's local um there was tons of support there's tons of cars in the class it didn't look like the class is going to go anywhere so it was a decision to make and that was the the one that we chose yeah i love what the bragging rights late models have done to late model racing in our area it seemed like about the time that the 360s started to fizzle super late models really took a hit too and it's it's nice to see both classes coming back on a rebound because i would hate to see a world where somebody couldn't go out and watch a ringed a winged sprint car or a late model race it's it's nice to see this resurgence of air quotes since you can't see them because it's the podcast but you know air quotes it's the economical way to go racing and i mean it really is so do you still have both cars sitting around is that the plan for what are your plans for 2022 uh, actually, I don't have have anything tied up right now for actual, you know, solidary plans. Um, I actually did sell the late model back this last uh, summer. I sold it back in July. Um, with IED, you know, potentially not going to be around for a while. I decided that, you know, when I, when I decided to step in the class, I bought an older chassis and stuff like that, and I knew that, you know, I, I wanted to go in into an affordable, make it an affordable decision that way. One, if it would get crashed or wrecked, you know, obviously I wasn't in too deep. Yeah, you're not you know, because I'm still life savings. Because I'm still, you know, still learning and stuff like that. So um, we actually decided to uh, to sell the car. And uh, I was just, you know, planning on maybe just building up the sprint car program for maybe I was going to do some stuff at the end of the 2021 this year and actually gotten uh, approached by uh, Josh Starrett, a buddy of mine who's from South Dakota. 
he wasn't able to drive, so we actually connected. We ended up running a couple shows prior to the Nationals, and we were in the Nationals, and then we were in a show at Columbus, and then that was kind of the end of our season. It was kind of unforeseen that I'd actually be driving anything. So um, going into 2022, I'd, I'd probably put my car together and maybe do something throughout the summer. I don't plan on racing weekly right now, but I know that uh, potentially uh, for Nationals next year, we might have something lined up with Josh, but nothing solid just yet. So. Well, good deal. I mean, you definitely seem to be a guy that's kind of got his head on his shoulders. You're taking care of your family first and having fun and working with your passion second. And I think that's pretty cool. Um, I guess we're kind of caught up to present time. Anything else that you want to talk about that's new over in your world? Not really. I just uh, everything's been pretty, pretty laid back as far as racing wise and stuff like that. So uh, I did uh, have the the pleasure of helping Tom Belsky this summer after a bad accident that he, you know, was involved earlier this spring. And uh, seeing that uh, last night, I was actually checking uh, Facebook, and he's actually got to attend the URSS banquet. So he's doing pretty good. So that for those that are out there that follow his story and kind of want to know uh, how he's doing, he's doing it's remarkably amazing. well compared to where he was at, you know, about eight months ago. It's just purely amazing to see the kind of turnaround that he's had. That was the scariest accident that I have ever walked on. Like, you, you walk up there, and somebody from the tower had thought that they said that he was out of the car, and I'm, like, walking past, and I can hear, you know, where is trachea or whatever. I'm probably using the wrong term, but you could just hear him kind of gurgling in the car, and I'm like, mm -hmm. this is way not good. This is way not good. And then to see him... About two months later, I, I about busted into tears watching him walk himself up the stairs to VIP that first night that he made it back out to Eagle. Yeah. That's just a, a turnaround that nobody was expecting, and it's just amazing to see. Yeah, it was definitely one of those things as a spectator. And we were actually there that night spectating instead of actually, you know, behind the scenes or racing or something like that. So we got to watch it firsthand, and it's definitely not something that anybody wants to watch or see or definitely anybody that you're friends with you want them to go through so yeah and what i really couldn't stand was seeing people that wanted to go facebook live throughout an event like that i i don't understand people's mentality when you want to do that but that's kind of the technology world that we live in today so again it's really refreshing to see somebody who not only wants to help out, but really goes above and beyond. I mean, you and your whole family have done that for years and years beyond the Tom Belsky thing. I know that you've tried to help out with Push Truck Mike's Cancer Fund, and, you know, your mom really helped start the whole bike giveaway program that Eagle Raceway had had going on to at a level that nobody would ever seen before. I mean, you'd seen yeah. tracks give away two or three bikes, but, you know, nobody started bringing them in by the truckload till Rhonda did. Yeah. That's something that we just started, um, you know, <clears throat> my dad had a crew guy at the time that he was helping quite a bit, and his son was, uh, you know, enthused in, in racing and stuff. And we used to have a family go-kart at home, and, and uh, the little kid would sit in that cart, and he'd just, you know, be off in the wall wall land thinking that he was driving it, you know, and obviously he wasn't big enough. He was a pretty tiny kid. So actually, uh, you know, a couple of years later on his sixth birthday, he actually passed away from a brain tumor. And, uh, you know, dad being a heart patient and stuff, and uh, knowing that his life was spared from, uh, you know, obviously you know, someone's misfortune, obviously, because he had an A-order replacement. 
and uh you know which was a donor valve at the time so here he is in his 40s you know thinking um you know he might not make it too you know so um obviously with you know everything uh good things come out of out of the bad and and uh, they wanted to carry on uh, Dylan's legacy and uh, they decided to uh you know make kids happy at the racetrack and then you know the only way to do that was you know let's buy a bike or a skateboard and you know keep these kids coming back so I mean when I was younger they used to do the bike races and the big wheel races and stuff like that I won a couple of those but you know it was kind of like a family decision like let's bring this you know the fun event let's bring the fun back into it and it took off I mean there was a bunch of support from local racers uh, actual sponsors um, actually Walmart when they did the bicycles and stuff so I think up to the point to where it got to the largest, like they, they need th- needed three semi loads to to uh, unload, you know, at Eagle, and you know each kid got like a free bicycle. All they had to do was just draw out of a hat or something like that, or a raffle ticket, and yeah, you know, raffle no, no expense. And you know, I'm sure there's a lot of happy little kids out there running around with their bicycles and and stuff like that. So I mean, it's something that they'll always for, remember, and that's something that we always wanted to uh, be a part of. Well, the racing community definitely owes you guys a debt of gratitude for getting that thing started because, you know, a lot of times we have a lot of good ideas and we got a lot of people that can make them come true, but I don't think people realize that it takes as much effort as it does, whether it's the bike giveaway or the old Nebraska Cup committee that went to put that stuff on. I mean... There's a lot that goes on behind the scenes that makes this sport great, and I just want to thank you for coming over and talking to me today, and thank you for all that you've done for motorsports, man. I appreciate it. All right. Well, we will be right back, or we might just end this. We'll have to see where it lays. But either way, thank you for tuning in to Roland Race News.